The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to From the Pulpit on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and on this episode, I am presenting sermons by Bishop Daniel Dolan and Father Nicholas Disposito. We are pleased to present from the pulpit free of charge to our listeners by the gracious sponsorship of sggresources.org. On this episode, Bishop Dolan and Father Disposito will be discussing joy and faith and consistency. And now we present from the pulpit. The disciples therefore were glad when they saw the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. He should have been. It was Easter, after all. But he missed. Oh, not Mass. No Mass was said until the first Holy Day, Ascension Thursday. But they were having church as Protestants would say, that first Easter evening, maybe Vespers. He missed church on Easter. Thomas, the twin, Didymus, was not a bad man, but was distinctly a modern man, definitely up-to-date. Was he a skeptic, as some say? Not so much as one who would have religion on his own terms or not at all. He was a brave man, Thomas was, and generous. He had a well of goodness. Let us go and die with him, he exhorted his fellow apostles on the way to Holy Week. And he was thoughtful in his faith, but easily frustrated. Sound familiar? Lord, he contradicts Christ at the Last Supper. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Or maybe he just had a lot of questions which is never a bad thing. But most of all, if you are of a certain age, you'll make the connection, 
He was a Sinatra Catholic. He had to have it his own way. He had to see for himself, but he wasn't there. How could he see? He's a good saint for low Sunday. How crowded was high Sunday last week? Glorious music and the church full and lots of noise. And now today you can hear the silence as you pray. Now it is low and so it must go. His missing church at Easter reminds me of Christmas. Last Sunday at the door, I actually said Merry Christmas to somebody instead of Happy Easter. And a few minutes later, I didn't feel so bad because some, uh, a lady said to me, Merry Christmas. The latest thing about Christmas and I see it starting in some of our families too, is that there's no room for the Mass in Christmas anymore. That's odd. Christ's Mass is the name of the holiday, after all. The Novus Ordo put Christmas on Christmas Eve afternoon, oh, it was a generation or two ago now, and that pretty much stuck. They have special children's liturgies then, and they're packed they say. Everybody goes. But Christmas Day, it seems, is just too crowded for church anymore. Well, there's Santa, and there are the presents, and there are several meals, and the grandparents to be juggled, and, well, there's no room in the inn for the baby. All booked up. Sorry. Still, I'm happy to say, I think Easter still holds its own in our country. I mean, as a day for church and family. I came across a grandmother before one of the masses last week, and she probably had her entire family with her already an occasion. And the day was all planned. They were going to go to Mass together and then go out to eat together and then they were going to visit Grandpa at the cemetery together. Don't you wish every Sunday were Easter, I asked. But you know, it's supposed to be a little Easter each week with Mass all together, the family, everyone in their Sunday best, and then dinner together to... This is how Christians live, those whom the lions haven't gotten. In other places, Europe say, Easter is just another holiday weekend, unless you get bombed on your way to the holiday by the friendly neighborhood Mohammedans, of course. But what about Lent? I thought I'd give you a little report on how we did. Stations were better attended this year than last, and Holy Week attendance was excellent, including Tenebrae with its beautiful haunting music and meditation and a lot of noise, the earthquake mostly at the end, the two morning masses, 
Thursday and Saturday and the wonderful dinner afterwards and Good Friday's Treori, of course, and the Easter egg hunt. And so many people to help all the way through, including the cooks, for Lent. And I'm always amazed and edified at how many of you come through. But after all, it is my Lord and my God for whom we do it, and with joy. Now, if only we could maintain this level of attending each week and of giving generously and fairly. Young adults as well. Father Chicada says we need to be saying that these days because it's easily forgotten. Why then, the Lord our God would be well served in Westchester, Ohio, and his commandments kept. Why then, we would have no more trouble to meet our bills and fill our pews. But I also wanted to say to you a word about the other ones whom you don't see on Sunday, but who are with us in spirit. The internet attendance, you know, is growing and is very devout. And uh, we hear from them, and they're generous. And how gratifying it is that we can usually share all of the glories we have here at St. Gertrude with good Catholics throughout the world. I know there's, there's some people in Scotland that hear the 7.30 faithfully every Sunday morning, and if there's trouble, as there was this morning because of yesterday's windstorm with the Internet, why then they're concerned and they might send us an email. Then there are people in Australia and have no idea how that would work out at all. That's just so far away. I think it's 24 hours different. But one problem troubles me terribly for us here. It's the steady drift away from weekly Sunday Mass, which afflicts some of our dear families. It is, I've been thinking about it a lot, it is as if it were just too much every eight days to manage Mass. So they have to dial it back a bit, once a month, twice maybe, Less in summer, of course. No sense overdoing it. But then I see our older Catholics who come on canes, and some of them still from a great distance, with their step slower now and not quite so steady. And they're old enough to remember having once lost the Mass and the faith, and the joy of finding it again. It's similar, I think, this frame of mind, to the way people dress or don't dress anymore. Everyone looked very nice for Easter. And I think some parents actually took their children out, as, as they used to do in the old days, to get them their Easter outfits. There were many suits and ties to be seen. That's still part of our Sunday dress code, of course, for the men and boys. And most of the dresses were decent and down to the knees, which is good. But for modern young men, you know, a long-sleeved shirt is now considered quite formal. 
as opposed to, say, I suppose, a, a T-shirt, which is the usual dress. And therefore, they think it to be acceptable, even for Sunday Mass. It's that same idea. Anything else would be just, well, the French say, un peu de trop, just a little bit too much. Monthly, that's good, but even if you're 20 minutes away from Mass, it seems so. That's a cultural drift, standards. Everything, starting with dress, is defined downwards. And you know where that ends up. But this is the overflow of the revolution. We can't escape its influence, but we can choose to reject its precepts, and we cannot accept this revolution because we are not its children. We are the children of the king, who is the risen king of glory. But the mass, but the Lord's day, those who miss their my Lord and my God on the first day of the week are not here to fall at the master's feet. Will one day they just fall away into the abyss which awaits out there? How was your Lent? I was wondering about that too. Because if Sunday Mass goes, I don't imagine there's too much weekday fasting or giving up our extra praying going on in your house. You see, everything falls away without the Sunday. And to think there are hundreds around the world hearing Mass with us now virtually on the Internet, hungering for a Mass which may be for them several hundreds of miles away. The same Mass some Catholics discard is just too much trouble, maybe next week. But you're here today, and the fasting's finished for a while, though the Friday abstinence, of course, remains. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I don't usually do this, but let me end with a rabbi story. It's a true story. An Orthodox Jewish rabbi was asked to explain his religion to some high school religion class. Now, you know the Orthodox Jews are extremely strict in practice, just as we traditional Catholics are meant to be in principle. Well, so this rabbi was invited to explain the many laws the Talmudic Jews must follow today, keeping kosher in the kitchen, and the strict Sabbath rules, and modesty for the women, and wigs for married women when they went out, and all the rest of it, every aspect of their lives strictly regulated by the rabbis, and religious observance being a complicated daily affair. Well, the students to whom the rabbi spoke were modern American high schoolers. They were incredulous 
as he went on and on. And genuinely curious, one of them finally asked, How can you stand living with all those laws? The rabbi's answer was memorable. First, he smiled. And then he said, The law is like a fence that protects a safe space for us to be at home in. It's like the walls of a house that shelter us and give us a home designed for our needs. We consider it a great gift. Clearly, he loved his religion. And how light our law is compared with theirs. And our love to the Jews outlove us. Our faith is a great gift indeed. Not an uneasy burden to be shifted from shoulder to shoulder some Sundays. May you find joy in your faith again and in your I will go unto the altar of God always. The same joy your parents or grandparents or you once felt the day you found the Mass, the true Mass, again, with its my Lord and my God and faith again. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. God bless you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We would like to remind you that you are listening to From the Pulpit on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and I am presenting sermons by Bishop Dolan and Father Disposito on the subjects of joy and faith and consistency. We want to remind you that From the Pulpit is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. And now for the continuation of From the Pulpit. Power is made perfect in infirmity. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. The epistle of the Mass we just read is very well known. St. Paul defends uh, not himself but his work in order to show the Corinthians that he has labored for the glory of God and for the spreading of the gospel. He's very clear. All the good things he has are from God. Only in his infirmities will he glory. And this means the only things that belong to him as his property are weakness, infirmity, emptiness, nothingness. By the way, it is such a misery that gives St. Paul the title for begging God for everything. But even when he prays, in order to, for example, be delivered from temptation, 
he receives the answer, my grace is sufficient for thee, which means that the temptations are going to continue, but St. Paul should trust in God and God will deliver him, will give him the strength to overcome temptation. <clears throat> With regard to the many labors of the apostle, <clears throat> we can use his own words, in many more labors, in prisons more frequently, in stripes above major, in deaths often. It is very important to understand that St. Paul was not a different breed of man, of a different species, or that he had some superhuman power to do the things that he did. <clears throat> he was just a human being like us. But of course, as we just read in the epistle, he did many more good things that we do. He suffered much more. And the reason is very simple. St. Paul loved God much more than himself. The only thing that he cared about was to give greater glory to God. Everything else was secondary. It is true that we ourselves claim that, um, that very uh, desire um, at one point or another in our spiritual, spiritual lives, but how often our good desires and resolutions end when, when we walk out the chapel or when we finish our rosary, our meditation. We are quite holy when we are at church or when we pray in the midst of the consolations that come um, in prayer, but Afterwards, we go back to the routine of being worldly, attached to comfort, to pleasure, an easy life. We leave the cross resting against the wall and spend the day looking for human happiness, human consolation. But if you notice, when you read the life of any saint, their lives were quite the, the, the exact opposite. The saints loved God all the time, and they were always disposed to obey God, even in very small matters. They did not miss an opportunity to offer something to God. They only found happiness in the fulfillment of their duty, spiritual duties, temporal duties. And when the duty was over, they tried to find some extra ways to please God. The reason for that, again, is their love. Saint Therese of Lisieux, in her agony, one or two months before she died, she was in so much pain that one of the sisters at the convent said to her, I pity you, you cannot even pray because of your suffering. But she replied, I can always love. That was very simple. I can always love, even when I cannot even concentrate when I pray. The saints never missed an opportunity to please God. Last week, I was able to attend the annual seminary retreat here at the seminary. In one of the conferences, Bishop Dolan pointed out that the soul 
is the cause of sin. The soul is the cause of sin. The body is the instrument of sin. It's very important to understand that uh, statement. The soul is the cause, the body, the instrument of sin. Many times we forget that, especially with uh, regard to sins of sloth or sins of sensuality, we tend to blame our body, the weakness especially of our body. But no, the, the sin begins and is consummated in the will, which is a faculty not of the body, but of the soul. The body is just the instrument the soul uses in a sin, in committing a sin. And you can see this by yourself and confirm this by yourself. For example, there are mornings, um, the average morning will be you have to wake up early and prepare yourself in order to go to work. And of course, you may feel tired, you may spend a little, uh, some more time in bed, ignore your alarm clock for a while, sometimes even excuse yourself because you're feeling so sick that uh, you really need to rest. And you find no motivation just to wake up and to prepare yourself to go to work. But on, on a day in which you have, for example, um, to go for camping or fishing or anything during vacation, you can wake up at the same time, have the same weakness in the body and the same, feel the same um, tiredness, but since you are going to enjoy that day and you want to prepare yourself for that recreation, you feel very differently, motivated, and you just wake up, wash your face, and prepare yourself for enjoying the day. Again, the sin and all of the, uh, what is uh, related to uh, sloth uh, is of the, of the soul. If you find the motiv motivation and you are going to wake up every single morning the same way, no matter what you're going to do during the day, and that's what the saints actually did. They gave, gave rest uh, to their bodies only the necessary time in order to <clears throat> gain back the strength to work and pray the next day. And the saints were motivated not by a human um, reason, but purely for the love of God, the love of God and the, the closeness uh, of, of heaven, of, to heaven. They understood that we have just a little time to accumulate riches for heaven, for the next life. They gave the body only the necessary so as to have the strength for prayer, for the practice of virtue. They understood very well that if we give our bodies more than what is necessary, the body naturally becomes an obstacle to virtue and to prayer. But um, if we give our bodies food only for the sake of pleasure, of course, that's, that's a sin, that's gluttony. Any excess in food, drink, recreation, those things are very common even among devout Catholics. And the natural consequence of giving the body too much is the neglect of our spiritual duties and dissipation and the sense of sensuality. So it's very important to understand that the body must be an instrument not of sin, but an instrument of virtue. And that's what 
a saint does. In the practical order, we have to wake up early in the morning to pray. And in order to do that, we have to go to bed early the night before. So we need the discipline to do that. Mortifying ourselves at the table every day in little things, in all of the meals, is very important. Small things, but done all the time. As lay people, you have more opportunities to practice mortification sometimes than in religious communities or like seminaries or convents because you are not bound to a rule and to the community life. So you can actually practice fast more often with the permission of the confessor um, if you're going to practice like the traditional fast. Um, you can actually do it more often and postpone your meal until Vespers. That used to be the traditional way of fasting. After Vespers, which is around 5 p.m., you can eat the same amount of quantity of food. Quantity is not of the essence of fasting, but delaying the taking of the meal. Avoiding snacks. How easy is to avoid snacks during the day? And that's a very, very good mortification. Having recreation only after you have finished your mental prayer, your rosary, and spiritual reading. Again, we need recreation. That's absolutely true because of our imperfection. The saints, by the way, didn't need recreation. The St. Thomas used to uh, try to avoid uh, recreation as much as possible. Of course, again, he was a member of a, of a community. Out of obedience, he had to participate uh, unwillingly sometimes of the recreations. But a saint does not need recreation. He finds that in God himself. But we imperfect sinners, we need the rest and the recreation in order to gain back the strength. But of course, with moderation and only in view of regaining the strength for work and for prayer. Another thing in the practical order that you can do is to wear something uncomfortable, like a chain or a, a silice under your garments that no one except you will notice the discomfort of it. But in order to do all of those things and make your body an instrument for virtue, you must motivate yourself. The soul must be the cause of virtue, of course, aided by grace. The will needs to desire sanctity very strongly so that it, uh, the soul can push the body to become this instrument of virtue. We must realize that we have only one life to be, to be saints, just one life. Each day we postpone our conversion is basically a lost day and is never going to come back. To delay our, delay our conversion, if we are habituated to commit mortal sins, uh, is a sign of, of impenitence. A sign of impenitence. So the, uh, you may think, oh, God is merciful. He will give me the grace at the end. I will die well. But many times when people had those kind of thoughts, they died suddenly impenitent. St. Thomas More had a, a friend that was, was in the state of sin, probably a public sin, St. Thomas knew about it, and he got sick, and St. Thomas told him, you have to 
now you have to convert, don't waste any more time, don't delay your conversion, and the, the person said, don't worry, I just, I need three words, God, pardon me. Those three words are going to help me in the moment of death. But what happened was that he, he went hunting one day when he got a little better, and he fell from the horse and died. And actually he died while pronouncing a course against God, a blasphemy. So he died impenitent. Saint Augustine says, he who strikes his breast and does not amend, confirms, but does not take away his sins. And Saint Gregory the Great says, he who has promised pardon to penitents, has not promised tomorrow to sinners. Also realize that uh, only sanctity is going to give you true happiness, both in this life and in the next. Any other human kind of joy is just false. Apparent happiness is not lasting, it's not true happiness. Also realize that you are not going to be able to avoid all suffering here on earth. It's impossible. So it is the smart thing to do is to use that suffering so that we can merit more riches in heaven and use that in order to grow into holiness. Very important is to put our resolutions into practice. Saint Teresa of Avila says, some people are full of the best resolutions, but never carry them out. They resemble the soldiers in a painting of a battle, who are in the attitude of striking the enemy, but never really strike. There are people who do not even make resolutions, that's even worse, and in the Imitation of Christ uh, we read, now, if he that makes a strong resolution often fails, what will he do who seldom or but weakly resolves? So, today is, and not tomorrow or the next day, today is the day for our for conversion. And the gospel of today's Mass is really clear about the many manners, the many ways in which people usually receive or fail to receive the word of God. Sometimes the word of God will produce uh, its fruit, but many times it will not. When it does not, it is because of our lack of disposition to receive the inspiration from God. So I hope that today you decide to listen and make good use of the grace God is giving you. Our Lady, the refuge of sinners, is always ready to help you in your infirmities. And remember what St. Paul says today, power is made perfect in infirmity. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for joining us on From the Pulpit. If you have any questions for Bishop Daniel Dolan or Father Nicholas Disposito or feedback on this episode, please contact us at pulpit at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to these clergy. 
All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even simply an Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.